One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As part of a four-member Navy SEAL team, we embarked on a top-secret mission to investigate the mysterious disappearance of an American diplomat near a remote underwater research facility located off the coast of Albania. Our objective was to uncover the truth behind this puzzling incident, but little did we know that our journey into the depths would lead us to an encounter beyond the realm of human comprehension, descending into the murky abyss we approached the wreckage of a small submarine, its remains scattered due to an implosion, carefully scouring the underwater surroundings, our eyes fixated on a significant discovery, a watch that bore an uncanny resemblance to that of the missing diplomat. A sinking feeling gripped our hearts as we deduced his fate. He had perished in the depths of the sea. Resurfacing to report our findings to high command, we anxiously awaited the arrival of a chopper that would transport us back to safety. Positioned near a dense woodland area, a foreboding sense of unease began to settle upon us. It was as if the air itself held a whisper of impending danger. Suddenly, from the depths of the sky, a creature emerged, tearing through the fabric of our reality. 
my gaze fixated upon its grotesque form, attempting to process the nightmare that stood before us. Its head, round and human-sized, lacked a beak and instead sported enormous bat-like wings that extended from its sides. The body stretched approximately five to six feet in length, while its massive wingspan measured a daunting twenty-five to thirty feet. Jet, black, and devoid of feathers, its skin resembled that of a bat, adding to the terror that emanated from its very being. A long, slender tail, reminiscent of a dragon, protruded from its form, sticking straight out. Contrary to the graceful flight of a bird, this abomination glided ominously just ten feet above the ground, moving at a plodding pace. After covering a distance of fifty to seventy-five feet, it suddenly unleashed a mighty flap of its wings, never altering its elevation, and soared directly toward our team. In an instant of sheer horror, it impaled one of the seals, piercing through his body with ruthless precision. The remaining members of our team unleashed a hail of gunfire in a desperate attempt to ward off the abomination. Its piercing screech filled the air as it retreated, vanishing into the darkness from whence it came. Left standing in shock, we exchanged glances, silently acknowledging the unspoken truth. No one would believe the horrors we had just witnessed. We understood the necessity of preserving our sanity and protecting our credibility. With heavy hearts and a shared understanding, we made a solemn pact to keep our mouths shut about the strange creature. We made up a fake story of how our fellow seal died, attacked by Stingray. Our commander believed us. I was working down at South Pole Station in Antarctica, drilling and processing ice cores. One day when we had off, probably a Sunday, we went over to visit the small tent area operated by a private company. This is a group that you can pay thousands of dollars to if you want to go to South Pole as a tourist. At any rate, I'm over there talking with their camp manager with a few of my fellow researchers. It was particularly low visibility that day and the wind was howling. We stepped back outside the main tent to head back to the main South Pole station about one half mile away, when we noticed a faint figure coming out of the snow. We watched as that it got clearer and realized eventually that it was a man skiing, dragging equipment. He came up to us and introduced himself as Henry Worsley. He told us he was skiing across all of Antarctica, and just happened to be the day he arrived at a pole. He wasn't allowed to accept any aid, so simply chatted with us and moved on. It was also eerie. We found out a few weeks later that Henry died before completing his journey. I realized even later that that pictures I took of him may very well be the last of him alive, and it really made the whole experience even more unsettling. Where I was living in 2005, my bedroom was in my basement and I had a mirror, which I'll mention was in the room at my old house when my step-grandpa died. I had a ton of strange things happen in that house. I was lying in bed sleeping when I suddenly woke up and felt wide awake instantly. I looked at the clock and saw it was 3 a.m. I rolled over to face my room and pulled open the curtains around my bed. 
In a corner, even though it was really dark, I saw several round-headed black shadows flickering in and out of my mirror. One of them was just standing there. It was like the others, except it had a brimmed hat, like a fedora or something. As I was pretty accepting of the paranormal even then, I asked them what they were doing and if they needed anything. They all stopped and turned around, staring at me with huge, round, glowing eyes. The one with the hat had red eyes. They just stood there for so long, I was pretty unnerved, too scared to leave my bed. I closed the curtains again, rolled over, and lay there until I fell back asleep about 40 minutes later. Before that, in about 1994, I saw my first UFO. After that, the next day, I was home alone doing my homework when there was a loud, forceful knock at the door. It was the only time our door knocker was ever used, I think. It had to be that because it was so loud. I also thought it odd because we did have a doorbell. I felt incredibly uneasy as I approached the door and looked through the movable peephole. It was facing forward and slightly up. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day, which made what was at my door seem that much more crazy. It was the shadow or silhouette of a man in a hat. I frantically kept my gaze on the unmoving, pure, pitch-black silhouette for about three minutes when the knock came again without this thing moving, even harder and louder than before. I silently retreated to my parents' room where I hid it until my dad got home. I hadn't told anyone but my diary about my seeing the UFO. I'd never heard of the hat man back then. I figured it was AMIB. Now I wonder if they're not the exact same thing. One time in middle school, my buddies and I stayed the night in a tent on some land behind my house. After a couple of hours, we noticed the sound of a metal chain rattling very faintly. I live on a farm, so we assumed it was just an animal messing with a gate or something. About 15 minutes later, my buddy stepped outside to take a leak, and he stopped dead in his tracks with a look of horror on his face. We rushed out to see what he was looking at. It was a medium-sized, mangy German shepherd in a large, dirty Great Pyrenees. They both had collars on with broken chains about three feet long that drug along the ground. We shined a flashlight on the dog's faces, and it revealed that the dirt on the Great Pyrenees' hair was all blood. It was down its jaw in front of its chest. We took off and ran about 100, 150 yards back to my house to tell my dad. The dogs didn't follow us or bark or anything. They just sat there and watched. My dad got a shotgun and went out looking for them, but came back 45 minutes later and said that he had found nothing. At this point, he didn't even believe us and told us to just sleep in the house the rest of the night and shut up. The next morning, my dad gets a call from our neighbor up the road to tell him that his border collie was killed the night before. It had bite marks all along its throat and torso and was practically tore apart. That's when my dad believed us and we never saw those two dogs again. I was in a commercial building yesterday when I needed to use the washroom. So I borrowed a key card from one of the offices and went to the washroom on that floor. It was a pretty small washroom with three stalls and two sinks. 
When I walked in the washroom, a woman has just walked out from the first stall and started washing her hands. I didn't want to use right after her, so I went to the third stall. I locked the stall. Then I lifted the toilet cover and found that it was nasty inside, so I went back outside to use the second stall. The woman was still washing her hands. I headed in the second stall as the woman asked in my direction, Catherine, you done yet? I was confused, F. But then, I heard a voice from the third stall replying, not yet. Maybe you should head back to office first. I was very confused, and I finished using as soon as possible. All three stalls were empty as I got out, but I didn't hear anyone entering or leaving the washroom. The washroom door has to be unlocked with a card when entering and leaving, which makes a beep sound. I still could not comprehend what happened now. A few years later, I was out hunting with a friend when we lost legal light, so we hiked back to the truck and hit the road in his parents' new Ford half-ton, the ones with the sensors all over the vehicle. We had some music playing as we were just heading back towards town again. When the music started acting weird and cutting in and out with static, so me being in the passenger seat disconnected the Bluetooth and reconnected the phone. Music cleared up and we continued down the road. We got up to the cam board on the road that my previous encounter took place, and I mentioned, Oh, hey, that's the whistle block that we logged a couple years back, half-jokingly because I couldn't make heads or tails of it. My friend replied, Great. Thanks for that, as I had told him the story before. We continued slowly driving down the road because it gets pretty rough in a couple spots, and the road has a few sharp turns and an S-bend. Well, we go about a kilometer further, and the music starts screeching and doing what we can only describe as alien noises. So I disconnect the Bluetooth again, and my friend says, Oh, Mom's got a cord in here. So he stops and gets the cord for me. I plug the phone in and play music again. Another kilometer down the road, and the phone goes apeshit. I mean loud alien squealing and sounds similar to that shitty dial-up internet noise from the 90s. We had started into the S-Bin when this was happening, and we shut the music off completely as we were driving still, making the one half of the S-Turn, and then we both look up from the music deck screen, and the headlight illuminate a figure standing in the middle of the road. So we swerve and take the ditch a bit still going, probably 30 kilometers hour, and get the truck back up on the road. We continue coasting down the road as we are both in awe, after just seeing a flash of this thing. I finally say after what seemed like five quiet minutes, man, did you just see. My friend cuts me off and says a skeleton in the middle of the road. I say, yeah like a white rib cage and a deer skull for a face. He finishes. I said, Turn around. What the F was that? Does someone need our help? Not thinking that we are in the middle of nowhere with no vehicles around or any that we had passed from other hunters. It was early season and no one bow hunts here anyways. My friend said, I'm not turning around. I feel sick, like I'm going to throw up. And he continued driving. We didn't see another vehicle until we hit pavement again. It was taller than the pickup by easily a couple feet. I'm six feet one, and my forehead is at the top of the window for reference. It has black surrounding the white of the bones with long arms half stretched to its sides as if it was saying, Try and hit me. 
I watched this thing pass the passenger window and stared up at it as we wailed by it, and it was definitely three-dimensional, tall with long arms and dark, dead-looking, like light was sucked into it without reflecting anything. Hard to explain. When we hit service again, my friend received a text message from his mother saying, What did you two idiots hit in my brand new truck? I guess the new Ford send near accident reports to the owner when the sensors pick up something. I'm an old school Chevy guy, so I don't know how. The only thing I can find online that resembles what we both saw is a Wendigo without the antlers. Or the headlights didn't illuminate them anyway. I remember the cold winter night of January 4th, 1996, like it was yesterday. I was out in the Malala River area with my friend Mark investigating reports of strange noises and sightings. We had heard rumors of Bigfoot activity in the area, and we were eager to see if there was any truth to them. As we made our way through the woods, we heard a strange whistling sound. At first we thought it was just the wind, but then we heard it again. This time it was louder, and it sounded like it was coming from just a few feet away. We froze in fear, not knowing what to expect. Suddenly we heard two loud yah, hooves coming from the same direction as the whistling. It was so close that we could feel the ground vibrating beneath our feet. We knew that this wasn't something natural, and we were petrified. Mark and I looked at each other in disbelief, wondering what kind of creature could make such a sound. We knew we had to investigate further, but we also knew that we couldn't do it alone. We made a plan to come back with a team of investigators, including two members who had night vision glasses. We wanted to see if we could catch a glimpse of whatever it was that had made those terrifying sounds. The weekend of January 27th and 28th finally arrived, and we set out into the woods once again. This time we were better prepared, and we had the support of our team behind us. As we walked through the woods, we kept our eyes peeled for any signs of movement. We had set up cameras and recording equipment, hoping to capture some evidence of what we were dealing with. Suddenly we heard the whistling sound again, followed by the same loud yah, host from before. This time it was coming from just a few yards away. We turned on our night vision glasses, and what we saw made our blood run cold. Standing in front of us was a massive creature, standing over seven feet tall. Its fur was dark and shaggy, and its eyes glowed in the light of our cameras. It let out another loud yah, who, before disappearing back into the woods. We were stunned, but also excited. We had finally found proof of Bigfoot in the Malala River area. Our investigation had been a success, and we knew that we had to share our findings with the world. From that night on, I was obsessed with the idea of finding more evidence of Bigfoot. I went on to become a well-known researcher in the field, and I dedicated my life to studying these elusive creatures. But no matter how many times I saw or heard evidence of Bigfoot, I would never forget that cold winter night in 1996 when I first heard its terrifying call. It was a chilly fall evening, and I was looking for some adventure with my group of friends. We had heard rumors about an old abandoned morgue or mental house that was located a few miles away from our town. 
We were curious and decided to check it out. As we approached the building, I could feel my heart beating faster with anticipation. The place was creepy, and I couldn't help but feel like we were being watched. We cautiously made our way inside and began exploring the rooms, which were filled with old medical equipment and abandoned furniture. Suddenly we heard a low growling sound coming from the other side of the building. It was like nothing we had ever heard before, and we immediately froze in fear. As the sound grew louder, we realized that it was not coming from any normal animal. It sounded almost like a mix between a dog and a human. Before we could react, a massive creature appeared in front of us. It was a dogman, a terrifying creature with the body of a large wolf and the head of a human. We screamed and ran in all directions, trying to escape the creature's grasp. As my friends scattered, I found myself alone and desperate to find a way out. I quickly made my way towards the loading dock, hoping to escape through there. But the dogman was hot on my trail, and I could hear it getting closer and closer. I reached the loading dock and quickly looked for a way out. My heart was pounding in my chest, and I could feel the creature's hot breath on the back of my neck. I spotted a ladder leading up to the roof and quickly climbed up it. From the roof, I could see my friends running in all directions, trying to escape the creature's wrath. I knew I had to do something to distract it, so I began throwing anything I could find on the roof at the dogman. The creature was momentarily distracted, giving me enough time to make my escape. I ran as fast as I could, not daring to look back. I could hear the creature's footsteps behind me, but I refused to stop until I was far away from the morgue. Finally, after what seemed like hours, I reached the safety of my car and drove away as fast as possible. The experience had shaken me to the core, and I knew that I would never be the same again. The dogman had been real, and it had come dangerously close to killing me. I vowed never to go near that morgue again, and warned all my friends to stay away from that cursed place. A couple of years ago, I was set filing out some paperwork in the office when a call comes in on the radio, telling me I think I'd better get down here ASAP. I just remember thinking that somehow they must have known I just sat down for a minute with a fresh pot of coffee. But a colleague calls through something like that. You better go check it out. I'm a ranger out in SoCal, and we have a massive expanse of parkland that we look after. So after jumping in the truck and heading off to the area, one of the rangers had also been checking in on to see what we got. We have an official camping area out here, which is super busy and is ran and looked at and after by a separate team. We don't tend to get involved with that much, but we do, however, find the occasional off-site camper in the woods that we have to remove for their own safety. People or idiots don't seem to realize that there is a reason why there's a safe campsite, and although you can hike through designated areas, there is plenty of wildlife out there that would very much like you for an appetizer. So I pull up the truck to the spot my colleague is waiting, and my heart sinks when I see the tents. I was asked if I looked inside, and I can now see my colleague turning a little green. He told me I better take a look. I just remember thinking how bad it could possibly be. I mean, the tent from the outside at least hardly even looked disturbed. There were no apparent rips in the material or obvious sign of any animal activity, let alone violent activity or struggle. 
but as soon as I opened the zipper, the smell hit me like a hammer to my face. Blood and a lot of it. But that's it. Nobody, no belongings. Not even a sleeping bag. Nothing. Just a tent full of blood. We had the police come and they did their thing. Did a massive search of the area, and although how anything would have survived that much blood loss, I don't know. But where was the body? That site was a potential homicide location. There was also no blood trails outside of the tent, no footprints, tire marks, or anything other than from us. Speculation was that the body was killed in that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Attend and then drug off. But once again, there were no markings or indications in the soil or ground below us to show any of that. The cops let us know a while later that after doing tests, it was indeed human blood, but having no match whatsoever on the system to who it belonged to. So that's another park ranger tale. We'll never know what the hell happened. Wayne National Forest has always been my sanctuary, a place to lose myself in the embrace of nature. So, when I decided to embark on a solo camping trip, I had no reservations. The first day was uneventful. I hiked, fished, and when the sun began to set, I set up my tent. The forest was alive with the sounds of nocturnal creatures, the night air cool and crisp. As I settled into my sleeping bag, a flicker of light caught my attention. I unzipped the tent, poking my head out. Two glowing white orbs floated around my campsite. They moved slowly, almost rhythmically, casting an eerie light on the trees. I watched them in silence. My curiosity peaked, but also a sense of unease building up inside me. Was it just a trick of light? Reflection of some sort, perhaps? But then they started moving in patterns, defying any logical explanation I could come up with. I considered packing up and hiking back to my car, but something made me stay. I wanted to understand what I was witnessing. So I crawled back into my tent, leaving a small opening so I could observe the orbs. The night was long. I would doze off for a while, only to wake up and find the orbs still there. They floated around my tent, never straying too far. Their glow seemed to pulse, radiating a soft light that illuminated my tent. I tried to rationalize it, told myself it was just fireflies or some other forest phenomenon, but deep down I knew it was something else, something unexplainable. As dawn approached, a rustling sound echoed from the bushes. 
I froze, straining my ears to catch any hint of what it could be. Suddenly, a dark figure darted past my tent. A predator, it moved with an eerie silence, its eyes glowing a familiar white. I held my breath, watching as the creature prowled around my tent. It seemed curious, almost as if it was studying me. The orbs hovered nearby, their glow matching the creature's eyes. Then, as quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the forest. The orbs followed, fading away with the breaking dawn. I was left alone, the forest resuming its natural rhythm as if nothing had happened. I packed up and headed back to my car, the events of the night replaying in my mind. I didn't have an explanation for what I witnessed that night. Was it just my imagination? Or did I encounter an unknown predator of the forest? It's glowing eyes a testament to the mysteries that nature holds. I may never know, but that night changed the way I looked at the forest. A reminder that even in the familiar, the unknown lurks. Being an avid hunter, I've seen my fair share of wilderness. But this particular trip to the Blue Mountains of Washington with my buddy Sam was one for the books. We'd been deer hunting and were camping deep in the forest, about eight miles from the nearest sign of civilization. We left our camp for about a week during the gap between deer and elk season. But when we returned, we found our campsite in ruins. A bear had ransacked the place. Our tent torn down and our supplies scattered all around. The smell of the bear still lingered, causing our horses and mules to be noticeably agitated. We spent the remainder of the day setting up camp again. As the sun dipped below the horizon, we managed to get our tent back up and calm the animals. Exhausted from the day's work, we turned in for the night. Just as I was drifting off to sleep, I was jolted awake by Sam's terrified screams. I scrambled out of my sleeping bag, my heart pounding. What is it, Sam? I shouted, fumbling for my flashlight. There! There! He pointed towards the trees, his hand shaking. My beam of light cut through the darkness, landing on a massive figure that was definitely not a bear. It stood on two legs, covered in thick hair, with broad shoulders and a powerful build. It was a creature straight out of the legends, a Sasquatch. We froze in fear, watching as the creature lumbered around our campsite. It seemed curious inspecting our tent and supplies. The horses and mules were in a frenzy, their senses sharper than ours. As quickly as it had appeared, the Sasquatch retreated back into the forest, leaving us in stunned silence. We barely slept that night, every rustle of the leaves sending us into high alert. But the Sasquatch did not return. In the morning, we packed up our campsite and headed back to civilization. The encounter left us with a sense of awe and respect for the wilderness we thought we knew. It was a stark reminder that we were merely visitors in these woods, a place that still held secrets and creatures beyond our comprehension. We left the Blue Mountains with a new story, one we'd tell around campfires about the night we saw a Sasquatch. My dad and mom had backpacked in several miles to an area he had hunted elk in numerous times in the past. They set up their tent and got camp all situated, didn't see hide nor hair of any elk that evening, but figured they would get after it in the morning. 
About 1 a.m., they started hearing a moaning sound off in the distance, but it kept getting a little closer and a little closer, and by around 2.30 a.m., the noise was only 50 or 70, five yards off, and it sounded almost like a person that was injured, so my dad got out of the tent with his flashlight in one. Hand and 44 in the other, he shouted out. Hello, are you okay? But no response. He scanned the woods with his flashlight, but nothing, no eyes reflecting or nothing. He went back in the tent, and about 20 minutes later, it was back and getting closer. Whatever it was came right up to the tent and was brushing against it. My dad said it almost seemed like a person walking around the tent with their hand brushing against it. When it was on the opposite side from the door, he unzipped the door and jumped out ready as one could be to see what it was, scanning with the flashlight again, but again nothing. My mom yelled, it's right behind the tent. I can hear it moving. So my dad went towards the back of the tent, but still nothing, no eyes reflecting as one would expect with an animal. This continued until just before it started breaking light and then it completely vanished. They left and came out after that. But him and I hunted that area again about 25 years later. If I'm being honest, the first night out there, I didn't sleep a wink. My dad said that was the only time in his life when he was truly frightened. For what it's worth, he had tons of backcountry experience, both in Montana and Alaska. Funny thing is, he ran into an outfitter a couple months later, and he had dropped a hunter off in an old trapper's cabin, about seven miles as the crow flies from where my parents had been. The hunter had a similar story and got so scared he just left all his gear except his rifle and hightailed it out. His story beats my worst all to hell. My worst was having a mountain lion in heat circle. My, my worst was having a mountain lion in heat circle my tent most of one night after backpacking in seven miles for mule deer. Was an uneasy night listening to her screaming all night, but at least I knew what it was. Dear Sir, I write to you this story of my attack by a werewolf last August. It was a clear moonlit night as myself and a friend were sitting outside my home. I live near Orocira, Brazil, near a large lake. I had heard strange sounds coming from the lake valley for many nights. It reminded me of a snorting bull, but louder. There are legends of large demon dogs and stories of people who roam the night with wolf masks and steal sheep, but I never believed any of these tales. My friend, who lives near me in the valley, tends sheep, and he had lost two in recent days. There was no blood found, but there were large dog tracks in the mud by the lake's edge. We decided to wait out the night and search if we started to hear sounds again. The time was around 11 p.m. when we started to hear the grunts coming from below my property. It is a swampy area with a spring. We both carried shotguns, hoping to find the varmint. We both thought it was probably a wild dog or manned wolf, though we had never seen anything over the years we had lived here. As we walked closer to the swamp, something stood up over the weeds. It was hard to see, but we both described it as a large wolf man and over two meters high. It stood like a man, but had a wolf head and upper body. We were both shocked at this sight. I was able to fire a shot as it ran off, but I was unsuccessful. But just a few minutes later, we heard the grunts again as it became louder and closer. 
This creature charged on all fours out of the weeds towards me. It got very close but stopped and turned when my friend shot behind it. It was so close that he shot away so I would not be struck. It ran towards the valley. We tried to find this creature for weeks but never heard it again. Some of the local people think we witnessed a werewolf. I will never question the legends in the future. Do you have any idea what we saw? The local authorities refused to search for it, though I feel it may have left the area. This occurred about one year ago last summer. It was a weekday morning and I was still working from home, post-pandemic. I am a middle-aged woman and home alone. I live on a suburban street with houses ferry spaced apart, think 60s ranches, with half-acre lot. My backyard is fenced in, chain-link fence with metal gate. I have a covered patio that is decorated and furnished. The patio has two short wood privacy fences on either side that block the neighbor's view, and the gate and the fence. I am sitting in my family room on the couch, feet propped up, working on my laptop, facing the windows that look out to the patio. All of a sudden, I see a person walk in front of the window on the patio. I'm thinking WTH, who's in my backyard. There is a wall between the windows and back door so I can't see the person anymore. I jump up and do the stupidest thing. I open the back door, peek my head around, and yell, what the hell are you doing? I came face to face with this 20-something kid, wearing a reflective vest, holding what looks to me like a small metal detector. He says checking for gas. By now, my dogs are behind me at the door. I replied, we don't have gas. The man kid just turned around and walked away. I noticed he wore no name badge, no company logo, had no obvious phone or device for work, etc. I immediately locked the door and ran to the front window. I see my catty corner neighbor out in her driveway. I step out and yell, Hey, Ellen, was there a utility guy in your yard? Ellen yells, You mean that guy and points right at the kid as he is attempting to walk up another driveway. By now, Ellen and I have met in the street and I guess two women pointing at him. Scared him off because he stopped and just started walking away down the road. My street is a one-way-in, one-way-out kind of deal, not connected to other neighborhoods. We saw no utility trucks or contractor vehicles anywhere. No cars parked on the street. And my home really does not have gas utilities. It is all electric. I went back inside because I had to attend an online work meeting. Later, my neighbor and I both called the gas company and were both told they had no one in the area and knew nothing about checking gas lines. I did call the sheriff later that afternoon. They sent out a deputy, took a report. The deputy was pretty annoyed that we didn't report sooner and that I opened the door and confronted the guy, as was my husband. I wasn't even scared in the moment, but I was freaked out the rest of the day. I put my 80-pound shepherd husky mix out back the rest of the day. Wish he had have been outside when he walked up. I have seen something strange at night driving home, and I can't for the life of me figure out what it was. Some people say it was a Newfoundland Bigfoot, and I decided to look it up since I haven't heard of one here before. 
that led me to your site and the story of the boys from St. John's. I'd love to share my story. On my way home in February 2017, we had a week of warm weather and my boyfriend and I were driving home on Big Triton Island on Highway 380. We came around to turn off one of the bridges next to a mussel farm and in the distance. I saw something so big that it scared me. It was far enough away that the headlights couldn't shine a light on it, but close enough that the rays of light highlighted it just enough for me to see its outline, and its eyes lit up like two big saucers. When it heard the car, it turned its head to look at us. That's when its eyes flared up and I saw just how tall it was. At first I thought it was a big moose because of its size, and then I knew it wasn't when it ran off the road so fast. The headlights didn't even touch it, and I got to see just how huge the limbs were. Anyone who's anyone knows a moose has skinny little legs, but this one had huge muscular ones, similar to a bear's but also different, because its paws were different like large human hands. It was perhaps maybe a second or a second and a half flat for it to get off the road and go completely out of sight. I slowed down as I neared where I had seen it and tried to look around the ditch, which had a huge clearing before the tree line. There was a small cluster of about five trees in the middle where it was recently cleared, and the animal was nowhere in sight. Normally, I'm naturally curious and would stick around to try to see an animal, but I felt threatened and very much in danger, so I drove on. I know there are a lot of bears in the area, but I have never seen one that Big and I have seen and photographed many bears since they are so common. It took up most of the road, and its reaction to seeing the car and ever so stealthy retreating off the road was so creepy because you could see it was intelligent, not fearful of the car. It didn't want to be hit by the lights so it can remain in the shadows. It simply didn't want one to be seen. It struck me as so smart so big, so unlike anything I have seen on the island. I thought perhaps it was a bear up early because of the warm weather, but it was the biggest mofo I have ever seen, and it's winter. I mistook it for a freaking full-grown moose. I don't know what I saw, but it's the first time I've ever seen anything like that, and it was by far the biggest thing I have seen on the island. I was really frightened, and normally I'm excited to see wildlife. My boyfriend didn't see it, but he is night blind, and I have to keep an eye out for moose when he drives and let him know if I see them, because my night sight is really good. Two years ago, I lived in a fly, in community in northern Manitoba. I lived there for two years and tried to experience everything the location had to offer. I got into hunting and took to exploring around on the ski-doo that was at my disposal. One day I went grouse hunting down the ice road on the ski-doo. I'd been out for a while in minus 35 Celsius and managed to get a grouse. After I got the grouse, my only thoughts were on getting home. It was only then I realized how cold I was. I was already shivering, and I was about 17 kilometer away from the town. I hadn't seen anyone all morning either. As I started back, I could only go so fast. Otherwise, the wind would wick away any heat my gear had trapped. That was the first time I really felt mortal. That was the first time I realized that if I stopped moving, I would die. It took me well over an hour to get back near civilization. 
When I finally got in the door, I was frantic. My wife realized I was in the beginning stages of hypothermia and pushed me to alternate between jumping jacks and push-ups while she prepared me something warm to drink. That was probably my creepiest experience. That is the last time I will go out alone like that. If this community ski-do had of quit on me, which was very possible, I would have needed some quick thinking to make it out of there. Lots of dumb choices that day. This incident occurred in western Idaho. This account comes from a very close family friend of my grandpa. His name is Neil. He's the kind of person that wouldn't lie about something like this, and I honestly believe his story. This story was told while I was on a hunting trip with my grandpa, father, a few of my uncles, Neil, and one or two other people. I don't know exactly how the conversation led to talking about strange and unknown things seen in the wild, but here we were. This was a few years ago, so forgive me if I've forgotten some details. Neil's story. A few years back, he described it to be about the early 1990s, and one of my friends had gotten permission to go and hunt decrobits on another one of my friend's properties out in a very remote part of western Idaho. I can't remember exactly where, but they had come an hour or two from the Wazer area in. The property was out in the middle of the desert, quite far from any small town or city. We entered on the north side of the property over a cattle guard and through a gate. The property was kind of in a valley and was divided into a very large flat plain, mostly on one half, and then on the other was a very large hill that spanned the length of the private land. It had an elevation of probably 200 to 300 feet, give or take. That night we had been working the flatter part of the land with a spotlight on my truck and flashlights in hand, shooting the rabbits. It was a clear night, and the moon was probably three-fourths full, so it was relatively easy to see some elements of the property by the moonlight. We started a little after dusk, and by this time it was about midnight, and we're about two-thirds down the length of the property when we heard this unhuman, blood-curdling scream come from the eastern side of where the hill ran. I looked at my friend, and we both froze. We were at the truck using the spotlight, looking for rabbits when it happened. We were probably 200 to 300 yards from the base of the hill, so the top of the hill was probably another 100 yards or so from the base to the top. As I started to scan the hillside with my scope, the creature screamed again. I then followed the sound and saw a tall, lanky humanoid figure standing with the upper half of its body, silhouetted against the sky at the top of the hill. I had fired a shot toward it from my twenty-two caliber, knowing it wouldn't make it to the creature, but I wanted to try and get it to move up and over the hill so I could get a better look at it, but instead this thing started to move down the hill toward us. Right after that happened, booked it to the closest side of the property, found a gate, shot the lock off, and drove away from there as fast as we could. To this day, I still don't know what I saw, but it scared the daylights out of me. So there's Neil's story to the best of my recollection. I would love to hear what y'all think, Skinwalker. Wendigo, let me know.